Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. The National Rifle Association has been one of the most powerful and most dangerous gun lobbying groups in America. But now, a corruption trial is underway and their visibility and potentially their influence is collapsing as a result. To hear more about it, we've invited Hudson Munoz onto the show. Hudson is the executive director of Guns Down America, a gun violence prevention advocacy organization. For years, the NRA diverted millions and millions of dollars away from its charitable mission for personal use by senior leadership. The charges allege Butina tried to advance Russian interests through her relationship with the National Rifle Association. Last fall, CBS News learned Butina worked closely with Alexander Torshin, a Russian also tied to the NRA. The Rifle Association is scheduled to elect a new president tomorrow, but it will not be Oliver North. The retired Army officer announced today he won't serve a second term after he lost the support of the gun rights group's leadership. The announcement comes after he apparently tried to force CEO Wayne LaPierre out. Longtime National Rifle Association Chief Wayne LaPierre announcing his resignation. The announcement coming as LaPierre is set to face trial in the corruption case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. My name is Hudson Munoz, Executive Director of Guns Down America, where we're fighting for a world with fewer guns and safer communities. Sorry, not sorry. Hudson, thank you so much for joining us on Sorry Not Sorry. Please tell our listeners a bit about you and the work that you do. Thanks, Alyssa. It's great to be here with you. It's great to meet you and be on your show. Guns Down America was founded in 2016. We are one of the leading corporate accountability campaigns in the gun violence prevention movement. We are focused on changing corporate behavior, on changing how consumers factor gun violence prevention into their decisions. And we're focused on changing investor and business community oversight of the firearms industry. We believe that all of this is essential to both reducing the number of guns in circulation and creating uh, safer communities. Gun violence is such a part of the fabric of the American way of life right now. It seems like such a big undertaking. How is Guns Down America working to change that? I think we're working in a very unique moment in history. I think we're living in a moment of reckoning where a lot of societal power is shifting in ways that work to our advantage. You saw this with the Me Too movement. I think you see it in the climate space. And I think right now, Guns Down is building on work that's been done by our allies and others who've wanted to see change on gun violence for a very long time. That is the wind in our sails. Tactically, We focus on wins that are achievable in a one to five year timeline and that are characterized by their speed and scale. One example of that is the Walmart campaign, where Guns Down America pushed Walmart to continue to reduce 
the number and type of guns and ammunition that it sells. We know from academic research that when stores like that remove guns from the shelves and stop selling them, that suicide rates in areas around the stores drop. That is saving lives. Guns Down America led the effort to create a merchant category code for gun and ammunition stores, which we believe, once implemented, is a solution to the problem of individuals using the payment system to further gun crime. And by that, financing weapons that are used in mass shootings, using stolen credit card information to buy guns that are then trafficked or resold to prohibited buyers. So as you and other organizations are working to save lives and to reduce gun violence in the country, the gun lobby is something that has just been so powerful and is working constantly in opposition. Like we just saw the NRA fighting to protect accused domestic abusers. That's the side that they're on. And so I wonder if you could just give our listeners a little bit of a capsule of like the state of the NRA, how they got to be so powerful, where their influence sort of comes from. Yeah. The NRA today is a husk of itself, and that is because of Tish James's litigation and the work that our partners did to expose the endemic rot at that organization. Since its founding in 1871, the NRA has been a registered not-for-profit charitable corporation in the state of New York. The Attorney General's office has a wide range of regulatory and enforcement powers over charitable corporations and their trustees including the NRA. The NRA's influence has been so powerful that the organization went unchecked for decades, while top executives funneled millions into their own pockets. And this is a proof point in that reckoning I spoke to just a minute ago. With Wayne LaPierre's resignation, that organization is rudderless. They don't have a leader. They don't have a direction. And they're going to try and course correct how they came to power is a, is a great question. One way is by partnering with the gun industry. I took a look at Sturm Ruger's financials this morning and saw that they gave the NRA uh, $1.8 million between 2020 and 2022. The reason they gave them that, I believe, is to perpetuate the falsehood that guns make us safe. This is what Wayne LaPierre said in 2012. The only solution to a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That doesn't carry much water. It's just escalating the problem of more guns, perpetuating more violence. And we know public health researchers have been saying for years that just the presence of a gun increases the chances of gun violence. And I sort of laugh to myself a little bit when I say that because it is self-evident. We believe that, you know, the word gun is the first word in gun violence prevention. And if we're going to stop gun violence, we need to focus on the true problem, which is guns in circulation, the lethality of guns that are made available by design, by industry, and the lie that industry and the NRA have promoted to say that guns make us safe, which is patently false. Since the 70s, the NRA has been really an extremist group pushing basically an entirely unregulated gun industry. And we've seen the influence. You know, you mentioned how they came to be so powerful. I think part of that was and is how the political landscape has embraced the lobbying arm of the NRA. How powerful has the NRA been in our politics? I think it's been instrumental in radicalizing and polarizing our politics. 
This is to their advantage because they can say, when you are afraid, you will buy guns. And that is in their self-interest and it is in the gun industry's interest to have the NRA out there perpetuating that belief. So I just want to jump in really quick because you make a really good point that I don't think we talk about enough, though, is that the NRA was such a big part of the current sort of extremism we see in American politics and sectors of American politics, right? They set the template that allowed for, if you look at the militia movement of the 90s that continues to today, if you look at the don't tread on me memo that leads to the Proud Boys, that leads to the January 6th insurrection, all of this is tied into or originates in part from the NRA and their tactics, right? Absolutely. And, and it's moving people into a more polarized place because the NRA won't allow politicians to take sensible positions that people want. LaPierre gave voice to the philosophy that is now ingrained into the very fabric of the Republican Party. Only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Days after 17 people had been murdered at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, LaPierre shifted the conversation by positioning any discussion of gun control as an evil plot to destroy America. They oppose every gun bill that comes up. To your point, they argued that a convicted domestic abuser should be able to have and own a firearm. And they punish politicians who side with everyone else who says that just doesn't make sense. And I think that is a key part in how the NRA has pushed people into a more polarized and unsensible place. And when I say people, I mean elected officials, not the general public. I do not think the NRA represents what most people believe and desire when it comes to ending the gun violence epidemic. We know those facts. What are the percentages, Ben, of the American people and how they want stricter gun laws? Well, we see like 90% of people thinking that we should have greater background checks, right? It almost parallels what we see with the ERA. When we think of basic common sense protections that most people think we already have, they support them. And so we see huge majorities in favor of expanded background checks. We see huge majorities in favor of assault weapons bans, of reduced size of ammunition clips. The things that are in the public zeitgeist as far as mass shootings, I don't think we see quite as much discussion about the sort of the background noise of gun violence of the 120 people a day who die by guns, whether by suicide or not. You don't see the talk necessarily about mental health and guns. You don't see the talk necessarily about domestic violence. But as far as some big issues, Americans overwhelmingly support this stuff. It's crazy. I was just thinking about how what other industries fit into these strong arm lobbying umbrella. And when you think about the terms we use for these other lobbying groups, like big pharma, big oil, but guns is like a whole different thing. We don't talk about it because it's the Second Amendment. It deserves more, I don't know, credit than these other big, you know, tentpole corporate America, other ways that we're making our country and the world sick. Yeah, I call that Second Amendment exceptionalism. 
where the industry has effectively taken the Second Amendment and turned it into a shield for any kind of accountability that you would see in the industries you just mentioned. Um, some examples of that are PLACA, right, with the protection of lawful commerce and firearms. No other industry has blanket coverage for liability for their products. And I think they did it with a short-term incentive to protect themselves against litigation without thinking about the long-term consequence of having no liability either with regulation or through the tort system to rein in the extreme products they produce. Another example, um, one that I'm like deeply familiar with, is in the retailing of firearms. Gun retailers are one of the only sectors of the retail economy that aren't coded with a very specific number so that when you use your credit card at a gun store, the sale is coded using the appropriate number. This is, to me, an issue of rules and fairness, where we believe that in our economy that everyone should be treated the same, that there's fairness here. But the gun industry seems to believe it is above that and exempt from the standards that everyone else has to hold themselves to. It seems like the wheels have started coming off of the NRA, and it seems like that happened after Parkland. We mentioned a little bit more before about the citizen activists, the people on the ground, the victims of gun violence who are really taking control of the narrative and advocating for a better future. What else has changed? With the NRA? Just with how we are starting to see the wheels come off of the power of the NRA. I mean, this litigation in New York is a pivotal moment. They are really highlighting exactly how extreme this organization was, both in terms of its public positions, but also in terms of its abuse of its nonprofit status. It is beyond the pale and almost laughable to me that Wayne LaPierre took a luxury yacht trip in the aftermath of Sandy Hook and Partland, citing security concerns, and did not disclose the travel. At the same time, people are paying the NRA for membership services. They want to go to the shooting range. They want to have programming. And he siphoned those membership dollars into his gilded lifestyle. Exposing stuff like that, I think, gets to the point you were making earlier, which is that we have been lied to. We have been lied to about guns. We have been lied to about their role in our society. And Wayne LaPierre lied to his members about what he was doing with membership money. So this might be a good time to actually just talk a little bit about Wayne LaPierre himself. Who is he? What's his role? Or what was his role, I guess? He was the president and CEO of the NRA. Believe that was his title. I might need to fact check myself. But he has had a vice grip on the organization for 30 years. And he was sort of key in moving the NRA into a more extreme position. Sorry, I need to correct myself. Wayne LaPierre was the executive vice president. But in that position, he was the public figure for an embodiment of the National Rifle Association. And we've seen that leadership be kind of a mess. For a period of time, it was really locked down. You had Charlton Heston. Remember when the Littleton, Colorado shooting came and he's holding up a rifle saying, out of my cold, dead hands. So as uh, we set out this year to defeat the divisive forces that would take freedom away. I want to say those fighting words for everyone within the sound of my voice to hear and to heed, and especially for you, Mr. Gore. 
from my cold, dead hands. Wayne LaPierre was the force behind the politics and the messaging, and Heston retired, and LaPierre was the visible face of the NRA for years. I remember uh, he wrote a book, and I was running a bookstore at the time, and he came in and did a speech, and I shook his hand, and my hand still feels dirty. This was more than 20 years ago, but he had a charisma. There was something about him that he could hold a room that was interested in hearing from him. And yet, I don't know if maybe that enabled what was going on, because a lot of things started happening. You mentioned the yacht, and you'd think by his own logic, if he needed security, he just needed his gun, right? By their own argument, if he just had his gun, he would have been safe. But of course, they don't go by that. He needs a yacht. But also, there was a tie-in from a Russian spy who they cozied up to. We saw a lot of fumbles in the leadership, like Ollie North became the president of the NRA and was then ousted by LaPierre. And just like, what happened in the inner workings there that allowed all of this corruption to take place? I think partly it's the Second Amendment exceptionalism, where there was really no oversight or accountability and people were so bought into the mission. But I want to like zoom out of the palace intrigue here for a second, because there's a real consequence in our society to this organization and its extreme position on guns. Under his leadership, gun sales roughly doubled. The number of gun suicides and gun murders reached all-time highs, and active shooter incidents became drastically more common across the country, and to the point where it's about seven times more common than in Canada and 340 times more common than in the United Kingdom. So I think it's easy, and believe me, I do love the schadenfreude of the trial. But we need to zoom out and keep in mind here that this organization did a whole lot more than spend a bunch of money on gold-plated yachts and suits and whatever. They were also, at the same time, deliberately fueling the gun violence epidemic in order to benefit from it and line their own pockets. I need to just back up a second, (laughs) because I just want to get this straight. The NRA is fundraising from its members to supposedly conduct issue advocacy, right? It's taking percentages of every single gun sale from major manufacturers. Is that right? I don't know like the mechanics of the contribution, but I do know that Sturm Ruger, in their most recent public investor disclosures, shared that they gave the NRA $700,000 in 2022, a half a million dollars in 2021, and $600,000 in 2020. And that's just three years. These organizations have been very tight for a long time. The industry is funding the NRA. And while the NRA is taking money from people who want to have the benefit of the membership services, go to the range, take a training. And at the top, they're unmoored from what most people want when it comes to guns. It just, it seems so corrupt. LaPierre recently quit for quote unquote health reasons. Do we know the real reason? I think it's because they couldn't stomach it anymore. And Tish James shined a spotlight right on his lifestyle. And his lifestyle was just too unseemly, even for the leadership of the NRA, to stomach. Which, it's sometimes hard to laugh in this issue, but they stomached hundreds of thousands of gun murders every year before he quit. It was the yachts and the suits that pushed them over the edge. And I think that tells you exactly what you need to know about where their moral compass points. 
So you mentioned that this is like a, a member organization. This is something that I think maybe gets a little bit into the Tish James issues because of the nonprofit status, because they claim to be a member services organization, right? A membership organization, but they really function in many ways as a trade association for the gun industry. But they still have all these members. They claim they don't release their member list, but they claim they have 5 million dues paying members. Where are these members? Why are they not, I hate to use the term up in arms, but why are they not really angry about what's happening in the organization? Is the NRA an identity for them? Is there some other like magic spell they have over these members who are giving them their money and not necessarily receiving the things that they want? I'm pretty sure that they have lost over a million members in recent years, in large part because of this corruption stuff. We can get you the exact figures on that for content. But members are leaving in droves because they don't want to be associated with it and they no longer see the value. We all know that the NRA has been in a steady decline for a while now. And now a report says that the NRA has lost over 1 million members. The National Rifle Association keeps shrinking. Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre told attendees at the gun rights groups, most recent board meeting, that the organization is down to 4.3 million members. And that is an existential threat for the organization. I would be very interested to know who is sticking it out and what they're hoping to get out of this organization in the future. Because I don't think any reasonable person looks at the NRA and says, this is the shooting sports safety and culture organization of 1871. It is now an extremist political organization. And I would expect the membership to continue to decline even further as the NRA marches in its extreme trajectory. For those that don't know, for our listeners who aren't completely aware, can you just give us, Ben, you can chime in on this too, an overview of this case? Yeah, I'll punt that to Hudson because you're the expert on that for sure. Let's see, was it a few years ago, there was an investigation into the NRA and into its inner workings, governance practices, false and misleading filings with both the IRS and state charity organizations in New York, where even though their headquarters is in Virginia, they were officially incorporated in the state of New York. And on the basis of those allegations, which were brought up by our partners at March for Our Lives, Tish James's office took an interest in it and said, oh, okay, this isn't just about politics. This is about the abuse of their charity status. And that was the impetus for the investigation and for the litigation that's playing out this week. Is it possible that this could actually end the NRA? What the judge in the case has said is that they're not going to dissolve the organization because they still have the members. They still have a plausible charitable purpose. But what they're going to do, I think, is severely, they're going to either attempt to course correct, which is what they said happened when Wayne quit, or they're going to move in a more extreme position to match the will of the members who still have the stomach to tolerate what's gone down in the last several years with the extravagant spending, all in service of the extreme gun position.
And the NRA tried to file bankruptcy, right? Like they tried to run to Texas and file bankruptcy. And did the judge, if I remember correctly, the judges shot that down. They held them in New York and said, you don't get to really clear yourself of these legal challenges through the bankruptcy protection. Is that still ongoing or is Tish James kind of taking care of that? Nope. They said, you can't do it. Got to stay. The NRA tried everything to get rid of this. I mean, they went so far as to force the resignation of the personal embodiment of the philosophy of the organization. If the NRA goes away, are there other organizations that are going to like step in and do the same kind of work that the NRA was doing? Yeah, I would look to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which has about 9,000 members, and they're not as well-funded as the NRA, but they're sort of like the business component of the issue. They founded themselves as an attempt to be the sensible trade association for the industry. But what we see, they parrot the NRA's position, they just put it in corporate speak. I mentioned the contributions that Sturm Ruger, the gun manufacturer, gave to the National Rifle Association. Sturm Ruger also paid the National Shooting Sports Foundation on the order of $1.2 million. The other one to look to is Gun Owners of America. They were founded on the belief, believe it or not, that the NRA was too liberal. They call themselves the No Compromise Gun Lobby. They've spent $3.3 million lobbying against gun control and boast that they have 2 million members. They're pretty fringe. But in this moment, when there's not a visible leader of the NRA, I would expect other groups to be ascendant. Yeah, I've seen some of what Gun Owners of America does, and they are absolutely disgusting. My concern is always that these groups that are second, third in line are going to wind up being worse than the NRA itself. But let's keep in mind, those positions, the, the numbers are scary, the rhetoric is scary, but they do not reflect what people want to see on guns. If they move farther into these extreme positions, the more irrelevant they become. You know, our job at Guns Down America is to keep up the fight. We do it as happy warriors. So I do think you're talking about like the membership issues here. And if these organizations are telling the truth about their membership, and that's a big if, but maybe we have something's on the order of slightly less than 8 million people if there's no overlap between them, which of course there is, but 8 million people who are members of these organizations compared to the 340 million roughly population of the United States and the 400 million guns in the United States. So clearly they're not representative of who we are. And so I think there is like a path to breaking that power hold on politics. But do you see that coming out of these litigations and out of the sort of current chaos and public zeitgeist and more vocal opposition to the NRA than perhaps there was in prior years? Yeah, I think one of the the outcomes of this litigation and the information it's produced is that it'll be easier for politicians to distance themselves from the NRA because the NRA won't have that direct line to voting public. Their reputation has been fully tarnished and sensible politicians can say, I no longer need to follow what you say because you're no longer a credible organization and you're not faithfully representing the interests of the constituents you purport to advocate for. We just heard Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut talk about what he calls the unbreakable grip that the gun industry has on the Republican Party. And he talked about conversations he's having with some Republican colleagues to try to seek common ground. The NRA may not be present for those conversations, but do you think their influence is going to be felt? 
Um, to be totally honest with you, I think it's not. I think historically, the grip was a reality. Uh, and up until probably 2016, its ability to outspend its opponents in elections uh, and, and, its, and its base that it did such a great job of socializing into this absolutist idea of the Second Amendment was, was hung over every, every gun debate. But um, I think their influence has been significantly lessened over the last few years, in particular owing to their deep financial troubles. One of the things that I think is really hopeful about this, and Alyssa, I don't know if you remember when we started NORA, our friend Brett Pransky was running for state office in Ohio. He was running for the state House of Representatives, and he got a survey from the NRA. And this is something that they do to basically everyone who's running for office that says, if you don't fill this out the way that we want, we're going to presume that you're anti-gun and we're basically coming for you. We're going to use the power of us. And it suppresses even like getting people into politics who might be able to work towards sensible gun laws. And I don't know, I think that might be one of the biggest effects of the diminishment of the NRA is that perhaps there's a, a new entry point into government and politics for people who may have just been intimidated out of it before by the really aggressive marketing and tactics that the NRA used to control even who ran for office. I don't know. Do you see any of that, Hudson? You saw it in the recent elections where younger people are running for office and they're making gun violence prevention a central component of their campaign. People have had enough, and that's another sort of proof point in the broader reckoning, is that the fear of consequences, the fear of the institutions that once had power is waning because those institutions no longer do. The NRA doesn't have the sway, can't organize members against a generation that sees straight through the lie and acts on it. Where can people find what you're doing? Um, people can learn more about us at gunsdownamerica.org. And we are on all of the social channels. Ben, you want to ask our last question? Yeah, I've never asked this before. I guess I will ask you then, Hudson, what gives you hope? Wow. Um, it's hard to pick one thing. That's good that there are numerous things that give you hope. Yeah, look, like it's easy to look out in the world and think it's all dark and bleak. But when we actually break down the problem, there's a lot of stuff that gives me hope. So let me start with my organization at Guns Down America. We operate under the belief that even though the issue is dark, the work doesn't have to be, and we can celebrate the wins when they come, and we can take joy in the advocacy. So I get a lot of hope from my team and from my organization. I also get hope from seeing trends emerge in proof points like Maxwell Frost, like the NRA trial, where we see the gun industry coming to a reckoning with its lies and its dangerous rhetoric and its association with an industry that refuses to acknowledge that it manufactures inherently dangerous products. I do think we are in a moment, and I think we have wind in our sails to get real change sooner than most people expect. And I hope that that gives me hope, and I hope it gives your listeners hope. Ben, you got to follow it up. I'm on it. I'm on it. Hudson, you give us hope. Thank you for everything that you do and for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. The messaging from the NRA has been that uh, we all want to take away 
their guns and we don't believe in the Second Amendment. And um, I'm going to tell every member of the NRA that I don't want to take away your guns. I have no desire to take away your guns. But I do believe that we should be able to live in a country um, where we feel safe. The gun industry is corrupt. It's built from the top to the bottom to profit off the killing of Americans. And the NRA has been the loudest mouthpiece of that industry, somehow tricking people into believing that guns are somehow about saving lives, when all the data, every single piece of it, demonstrates the exact opposite. They are on the ropes now. But we cannot stop fighting against them until they no longer exist. The lives of 46,000 Americans every year depend on breaking the back of this corrupt organization and any others who rush in to take up its mantle. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson, audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski, and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry, not sorry.